0: Welcome to BioCentury This Week. I'm Jeff Cranmer, Executive Editor of BioCentury, and I'm joined by... Steve Austin, Washington Editor.
1: Stephen Hansen, Associate
0: Editor. On this week's pod, we look at how the latest data drops by two rising European companies set them up to attract investors' attention. We'll also look at the upcoming meeting of FDA's ODAC, on accelerated approvals, and what to look out for in President Biden's first address to a joint session of Congress. Stephen, Affamed and Adrenomed are two European companies that have been around for more than a decade each, and in the past week or two, both have had data that have caught the attention of at least our readers and our editorial team, and likely set them both up. To raise money. Steven, Affamed, they've been around for a while now. I think they're a 21 year old company. NK cells have become one of the hottest topics in cancer over the past few years, but they are nothing new to Affamed. You spoke with the company's CEO. What's next for the German
1: biotech? And what did the data look like? Affamed had data a couple weeks ago at AECR that was interesting because it combined their NK cell engager with adoptive NK cells. It was very early data, but it showed four to four patients had a response to therapy with two complete responses. And it's the latest in a string of positive data now for the company's NK cell engagers, most of them being in different combinations. And the company basically had 10, maybe even 15 year run where they were struggling to raise money and basically working to try and find the right setting for these therapies. At the time, say 10 years ago, they were still developing NK cell engagers and T cell engagers, which are much more advanced. We have a T cell engager on the market, and there are a lot more companies working in that space. But they made the call that they thought that the NK cell engager would be sort of long-term, the better route to take. Potentially has a better safety profile. You don't get necessarily the same CRS or toxicity with these therapies. They thought that this might be the better way to differentiate themselves, and looks like it might be starting to play out. They saw 89% overall response rates in a combination with the PD-1 inhibitor as well a couple of years ago. And that was a turning point for them in getting investors' attention. I think their market cap now is about 1.3 billion. So they're, they're starting to move up and really bring some big investors in.
0: Yeah, they've had an interesting path in terms of their financing history. So they're a German company. And Stephen, you've written a lot recently about the difficult financing environment for Mm -hmm. German biotechs. Affamed, if I remember correctly, they actually went to NASDAQ early on.
1: Yeah, they were actually the first German biotech company to do a direct listing on NASDAQ without going via a European listing first. So Mm -hmm. they did take that plunge early on in 2014. It wasn't easy. Their IPO price well below their range and they struggled. Even as of a couple of years ago, they were just a couple of dollar stock. It hasn't been easy for them, but I think once they started getting the data and then they had a partnership with Genentech that brought in nearly a hundred million front, it, it tripled their cash position at the time and really set them up to try and begin to really build out their platform, which I think has started to bring some attention to them.
0: Excellent. Now they had another key deal a little bit before that, I believe with MD Anderson. How did that come about and how does that
1: tie into these data that we saw at AACR? Yeah, so it was about five years ago. The CEO was telling me met one of the uh, investigators there, and that ties directly into this data we just saw at AACR. One of the key findings was this understanding that in some of these cancer settings, the innate immune system is dysfunctional. So even if you're engaging with the cells, NK cells or macrophages just might not be that functional or all there. So you might need something to help there. And so He had this meeting with an investigator, MD Anderson, who was developing an adoptive NK cell therapy program. And she was struggling with efficacy because the NK cells themselves just weren't working as well. And they actually came up with this idea to pair them together to try and overcome that innate immune system dysfunction. And that's what we got with the ACR data, which obviously only four patients but the efficacy so far looks pretty good.
0: Excellent. Now, the other company with data that was pretty eye-opening is also from Germany, Adrenomed. Are there any similarities between the
1: paths that these two companies have taken over the years, Stephen? Well, I think the common theme, which is it's fairly common across German biotech, is something of a struggle to raise capital. They've been toiling a little bit, not as long. They've been around for a little more than a decade but they raised 22 million euros in a Series D round last year, which was enough to get them to this point, but it's still not going to get them across the finish line. Whereas most biotechs these days, we see them maybe go to a series B, maybe a series C, right, before they do an IPO. But Med looks like it's potentially going to have to go to a series E round here, depending on how things go. It was interesting data because it's in sepsis, which is an area that I think we're all pretty familiar with is there's been no innovation for decades. And with the caveat that It took a couple post-hoc analyses for them to narrow down to a particular subgroup of patients that saw real benefits. The data looks pretty interesting, which shows a survival benefit, which correlates really well with organ function and improvement in organ function. They look like they're at least set up to be able to go into a phase three and be able to answer the question of whether this antibody really works or not.
0: Okay. So even though it's only based on post-hoc analyses, they can justify jumping into phase
1: three? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's post hoc analyses that really identify two biomarkers that allow them to then narrow down to a patient population that would benefit most. And it's not as the analyses aren't such that you see some sort of crossover in other subgroups or other parts of the population. There's a benefit across the ITT analysis. It's just that you see the strongest benefit in this subgroup. I think they'll be going out now hoping to raise some money to see if they can replicate this in the phase three trial.
0: Excellent. Well, I was just poking around our BCIQ database. It looks like their last round was actually a series E. So maybe the next one will be a series F. I know you spoke with the CEO and he said simply, we need to be financed. We can't start this trial unless we know that we can carry it through. So they're considering everything from a crossover round followed by an IPO to a outright acquisition or an out licensing deal for regional rights. And they are hoping to have top line data from that pivotal trial in 2024. And they made the right call. They're going to BioEquity Europe, (laughs) uh, which is in May. That's our European conference. We've been running it over two decades now and we have a one-on-one partnering system. Companies are giving presentations. If you're listening to this and you want to learn more about AdrenoMed, you can reach out to them via our BioEquity Europe one-on-one partnering platform or check out their presentation. All right, let's turn to our man, in Washington. Steve, we've got this ODAC meeting coming up this week on accelerated approvals. What should we expect out of that?
2: So ODAC, the Oncologic Drugs Advisory Committee, is meeting this week to make recommendations about withdrawing or retaining accelerated approvals for six indications of three PD-1 inhibitors. I think that the meeting's important for maintaining the integrity of the accelerated approval pathway. I wrote a story this week and said basically that accelerated approvals are based on an implicit contract. FDA approves the drugs based on data that's likely to demonstrate clinical benefit, usually surrogate endpoints. Patients get access to drugs months or years sooner than they would if the developers had to demonstrate clinical benefit, and companies, of course, get revenues much sooner. The second half of the deal is that companies have to conduct studies to confirm clinical benefit. And if the studies don't confirm clinical benefit, the drug should come off the market. Some people see it as a failure when drugs come off the market. They say that shows that these are drugs that received accelerated approval It shouldn't have been confirmed in the first place. I think that's the wrong way to look at it. As long as it's rare, and it has been, I think that it shows that the system's working properly. If 100% of accelerated approvals were confirmed, then it would mean FDA wasn't taking any risk. And I think then it would mean that patients we're missing out on some things that could benefit them. On the other hand, for the system to work when efficacy hasn't been confirmed, the approvals really have to be withdrawn. And that's really what's going to be at stake here. I think that ODEC is likely to recommend withdrawal of all six of the indications. If it doesn't recommend withdrawal of them, FDA is going to ask them what studies the company should do in order to confirm clinical benefit to keep them on the market.
1: Steve, do we know what the numbers are for how many of these are out there? How many accelerated approvals are out there where companies haven't followed through or where they've failed?
2: Well, funny that you should ask that because we published a data bite about that last week. And what it showed is that from 1992 to 2020, 125 accelerated approvals were converted to full approval. And this is not just cancer. This is across the board for all indications. There are 112 that haven't been converted yet, and there were 16 that have been withdrawn. From 1992 to 2015, lopping off the last five years, because it might take time for companies to actually demonstrate clinical benefit, there have been 111 accelerated approvals that have been converted to full approval. There were 19 that hadn't been converted yet, and 15 that have been withdrawn. Those are the overall numbers. People can argue about them it looks to me like FDA and the companies are doing a pretty good job of following up on the commitments and either confirming clinical benefit or having them withdrawn. The meeting is focused specifically on
1: cancer drugs, right? The upcoming meeting next this, and not, this week.
2: And not just cancer drugs, on PD-1s. And, right. and I think that there are some things that are unique to them. For example, for some of the drugs that are going to be considered or some of the indications that are going to be considered, Other drugs, other PD 1s, have demonstrated overall survival benefits. So, one of the things that FDA is saying is look, you've got a drug here that was approved based on a single arm trial where there was an improvement in response rates. Their confirmatory trials have not demonstrated clinical benefit. There's another drug in the same class that has shown overall survival benefit. So, there
1: are already options for those patients. So,
2: there are options for those patients. And there are options that have been demonstrated to show clinical benefit. That's for some of them. I think the other thing that FDA is going to ask the committee about in the big picture is going to be how it should approach requests for accelerated approval for immunotherapies based on low response rates. One of the things that FDA has been doing is saying, well, low overall response rates can be used to get accelerated approvals, especially if some of them are durable. Even if you have only a small number of people benefiting, if some of those people are benefiting and getting long-term responses, that's good enough. Of course, it's in the context of a medical situation where there's nothing else that can help those people.
1: Is there going to be read-across for other companies that are not in cancer, but that are getting accelerated approvals? I'm just wondering how much of this FDA's discussions or comments at this meeting can be extrapolated out to other non-cancer settings.
2: I don't think that there should be, but I think there will be. Okay. I think that people think of FDA as a monolith, but really it's not. And I think that especially cancer plays by its own rules, but there's a bigger policy debate that's going on in Washington right now about accelerated approval. There are calls, for example, to change reimbursement policies, to create incentives for companies to complete confirmatory trials. There are calls for um, including some kind of changes in the accelerated approval pathway for example, in Piduva reauthorization. When I started, I said, you know, I think that this is really important to maintain the integrity of accelerated approval, because I think if there's a sense that FDA isn't going to act in cases where confirmatory trials haven't demonstrated clinical benefit, then that will create more pressure to tighten the system up to change it.
0: Excellent. Well, let's turn to the president, Steve. He's scheduled to speak to a joint session of Congress. What are you looking out for?
2: So, President Biden's going to address a joint session of Congress on Wednesday evening. Of course, he's really going to be speaking to the whole country. He's going to lay out his agenda, both for the coming year and for the rest of his administration. And he's under a lot of pressure to make good on campaign promises to cut drug prices. I'll be surprised if he doesn't announce some kind of drug pricing policies. I think that those are likely to include requests that Congress enact legislation, for example, that gives HHS the power to negotiate Medicare drug prices. Requesting legislation and actually seeing it enacted, of course, are very different things. Other presidents, including President Trump, have found that it's a lot easier to ask or demand that Congress enact drug price controls than to actually see them enacted. I think we're going to hear a lot about drug pricing over the next five months, pharma and Bio and their individual companies are ramping up the fight provisions that have been proposed in legislation that they believe will hurt their companies and it will make it more difficult to create new medicines. At the same time, the trade associations and the companies are considering pushing for some kind of a, a deal, a, a grand bargain that would reduce or eliminate out-of-pocket costs for patients on the one hand. And on the other hand, the companies would give some kind of relief on pricing or on helping Medicare, for example, afford new drugs. I think in the end, Congress is gonna pass something. And the end, by the way, I think is going to be before October 1st, but I don't think it's gonna be as dramatic as what the Democrats would like. And it's not gonna be as far reaching as what President Biden is likely to ask for.
0: Sounds good, but well, we'll see what goes down and look forward to reading what you write about it. Let's turn to our deal in focus. It's two deals actually as Vertex continues to build a future beyond cystic fibrosis by branching out into new indications and new modalities, including CRISPR-based gene editing and mRNA therapies. Vertex started its week revising its agreement with CRISPR therapeutics, taking an enlarged stake in a clinical therapy for hemoglobinopathies. Did I come anywhere close to saying that correctly? Stephen's nodding. Okay. Uh, that's a relief. Um, the deal effectively values CTX-101, the partner's ex vivo gene edited therapy for sickle cell disease and transfusion dependent beta thalassemia, at $9 billion. The CEO of Vertex came out and said that they believe that The program has the potential to be a one-time functional cure for people living with these diseases, which would be flat out amazing. But what was also cool was that it was a vote of confidence in the ability to commercialize advanced therapies in a week that saw Bluebird retreat in Germany. They threw up their hands after failing to reach a pricing agreement with the German health authorities for, remind me, Stephen, which drug was it?
1: Zinteligo, Zinteglo?
0: Yeah, that's that's the one, that's the one. The company is now confident that it can get everything back on track by mid-year, but still it's impressive that Vertex is moving ahead with this sort of confidence. That deal for CRISPR, it gives it a lot of new cash, I think 900 million upfront, was it million. Steven? Yeah. And that builds on I think they wrapped last year with nearly 2 billion in cash. Now the second deal that Vertex did shores up its gene editing capabilities. It was a 75 million dollar research collaboration and licensing deal with Obsidian to discover small molecule regulated gene editing therapies. Obsidian gets 75 million up front with BioBucks well over a billion. That gives Vertex exclusive options to five tunable gene editing therapies that use Obsidian Cytodrive tech. Well, that's all we have time for. We will be taking our BioCentury This Week podcast on the virtual road for BioEquity Europe. That's again in mid-May. You can register and view the full schedule on our website, BioEquityEurope.com com. We now have more than 140 presenting companies, which includes Adreno Med. Ahead this week on biocentury.com, a company called Treeline. Steven, what can you tell me about Treeline quickly?
1: This is a new targeted oncology company from the former CEO of Loxo, which was a targeted oncology company taken out by Lilly. He left that post after about a year, and this is him re-emerging with Arch and a number of other big-name investors backing it will be interested to see what they're working on.
0: Yeah, definitely one to watch. And Steve will be keeping us all up to speed on what is happening in Washington. All of our podcasts are available on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, and Google. Kendall Square Orchestra provides the music for our podcast. The group connects science and technology professionals and other members of the greater Boston community collaborate, innovate and inspire through music while supporting causes related to healthcare and education.